0: in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2, the reading verses 13 uh, through 17. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, the reading verses 13 uh, through 17. This is the the living uh, and abiding uh, Word of God, Mark 2. Verse 13, he, that is Jesus, went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help today. Uh, We thank you for your word that you've given to us. And yet, Lord, we know that unless uh, your Holy Spirit is at work, both through the preaching and through the hearing uh, of your word, that these words will remain on the page. And so, Lord, we pray that by your grace and mercy. Uh, you would take uh, these words inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, and apply them to our own hearts and minds even today uh, for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm wondering if you have heard of the uh, television show The Worst Jobs in History. Uh, This was a television show uh, over in Britain hosted by Tony Robinson. And in each episode of this television show, he would try his hand at various jobs, uh, which ranged jobs jobs throughout history, from Roman times, Anglo-Saxon, medieval, Victorian times. Ultimately, he would nominate um, which job he thought was the worst in each program. Some of the more repulsive or dangerous jobs throughout history, which he detailed, were that of an executioner, uh, a leech collector, a plague barrier, uh, and a rat catcher. And one particularly difficult job in Tudor England, he described as uh, was called uh, the night men, the night men, because they were only allowed to work uh, at night when no one else was around or could see them. Before the invention of modern machines to do their work, these men had the calling to dig out and clean out the cesspits and the sewage of the town uh, and remove it outside the city boundary. Uh, these were not men you would like to be around uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, there have always been such uh, throughout history. That is, folks, uh, we're not quite sure uh, we want around. Uh, you wouldn't say it out loud, of course, but you might secretly be thinking to yourself, sometimes uh, when you go to a place of worship or come to this place of worship you might secretly think to yourself why is this person here and wouldn't this person be better off maybe somewhere else when i come to church i want to be with folks of my own kind you know good people maybe you've heard it expressed when it said if someone with a terrible reputation, if that person ever darkens the door of a church, uh, the building would probably fall down. We've heard that expression. Many non-Christians, I think, think that Christians are good people who have all their really bad problems worked out. Uh, and they can't relate to Christians because they know that they've got some serious problems which they wouldn't dare mention uh, in the company of such smiling, happy uh, churchgoers. And they mistakenly think uh, that Christianity is for good people. And they know that that excludes them. The only problem, of course, with this idea of Christianity being for good people is that the founder of Christianity taught precisely the opposite. And when he spoke the truth, it brought him into trouble with the religious crowd in his day. Jesus tells us in this passage that he did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Uh, so that's our first point this morning. Jesus saved sinners, not good people. Uh, this is what the Bible says. He went out again, verse 13, beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose uh, and followed, followed him. I don't know if you realize it or not, but uh, Levi uh, was an outcast in his society. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Levi is given the name Matthew. Matthew means a gift of God. And so somewhere along the lines, Levi will turn to Matthew, uh, the gift of God. But here in this situation... Uh, This was uh, really a risky and politically incorrect thing for Jesus to do, to call someone uh, like Levi to be one of his disciples, because we realize that in this day, tax collectors uh, were viewed as traitors and crooks. Uh, Why is that? Well, first of all, they were Jews working for the hated oppressors, the Romans, and they were collecting taxes. So all you need to do is think IRS, and you get a a, a little bit of a hint here. Uh, but they would have tax booths, and this is probably, uh, this was probably for goods. It was kind of like a customs duty. At the time, uh, Herod Antipas is the ruler of Galilee, and um, uh, Philip is in a neighboring territory, and Capernaum's kind of in the area where there'd be a, a road that would go through between territories, and you would need to stop at the tax booth, even as... Um, Uh, In some states, they do today as we crossed over into California. We had to stop. If we had any fruit or vegetables or something like that on our way across the country coming into California, you had to declare that. And I think we had some oranges from New Jersey, actually. And so um, I think that was okay. But uh, this is what's going on here. This is a tax booth for for goods or customs that you would have to pay. And uh, people didn't like that. That he worked for the Romans. Secondly, these tax collectors were generally very rich because they often charged far more in taxes than the law required. And how do we know that? Well, if you look over in Luke 19, you remember about Zacchaeus and as Zacchaeus sees Jesus, Jesus meets with him in his home and and uh, and Zacchaeus is converted. Jesus says today salvation's come to this house and Zacchaeus says, "Well, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them back fourfold." Uh, And so clearly that Zacchaeus was being convicted of sin and he was going to give half of his goods to the poor. And um, in this chapter itself, in verse 15, we find out that Levi has has a home that's certainly big enough anyway to fit lots of folks. And so tax collectors were hated for that, that they would often gouge the people of their money. Third, a tax collector and customs official, Levi was known to have daily contact with unclean pagans. He was constantly, as a Jew, in contact with with Gentiles. And furthermore, we're told Levi actually allowed here in this passage many tax collectors and sinners into his home. But he was clearly guilty of breaking the laws of uncleanness, you know, having too much to do uh, with the unclean Gentile. Now, of course, being a tax collector was not a sin uh, in itself. Uh, How do we know that? Well, because when John the Baptist comes on the scene in the Gospel of Luke uh, and uh, folks are being convicted of their sin, he's got all sorts of different folks coming to him asking what they should do because they're repenting of their sin. And the Bible says tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to John, teacher, what shall we do? And John didn't say quit the IRS. No, he didn't say that. He said uh, he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And so it wasn't being a sin, being a tax collector, but it certainly had uh, all sorts of reasons uh, why these folks had a bad reputation. And so Levi was not the kind of man folks wanted around. Uh, They move away when they see him coming down the road, hoping he won't stop to say hello. He's a man to be ignored and avoided. You know who I'm talking about, because we we all have them, don't we? Um, people in our life we'd rather not speak to, rather not deal with. Too hard, too painful, too inconvenient, or maybe they're not like us academically. You know, I can't, I can't speak about neurons and neutrons with this person. I just can't. Um, uh, or, uh, or hygienically, they're different, you know. Maybe they don't comb their hair, or maybe they smell. or um, And you just, they're those kinds of people that you just rather not have to deal with. Maybe they demand too much of you, too much money, too much time, too much effort. We want them simply to pass by on the other side. Such was the tax collector. Now, Jesus was aware, of course, of all these things, uh, including the bad reputation that tax collectors had. And yet the Bible says Jesus said to Levi, follow me. I want you uh, to be my disciple. Yes, you follow me. It's really wonderful. The Bible says Jesus passed by the tax booth and he saw Levi. Jesus sees Levi. Jesus notices Levi. And Jesus calls Levi. I'm not sure anyone else walking by would have truly seen Levi. Of course, you see the tax man and you look the other way. Uh, But Jesus sees him uh, there and he calls him. and, And this is a wonderful thing. This is the commanding call of Jesus. Follow me. To this tax collector. This is a call to discipleship. That's what a disciple is a a follower of a teacher. And this man is called. This is Jesus setting his sights on Levi and authoritatively calling him to himself. It doesn't matter what others think of Levi, it doesn't matter how he's viewed in the community, it doesn't matter what kind of reputation Levi may have had. Jesus sees him and Jesus calls him to be his follower. Now, this is really important because we have to notice at this point that the call from Jesus to Levi is a command. Follow me. Just like the gospel Jesus preached was a command. Repent and believe in the gospel. Have you noticed this before? Jesus did not call with a question. Jesus didn't say to Levi, Levi, would you like to come and follow me? Uh, Levi, don't you think it would be a good idea? To put your faith in me, Levi. Would you like to invite me into your heart? Hmm, Levi. Would you like to? Would you like to choose me? Uh, just like when um, the bridge is out on a highway overpass, the police don't put up a sign as you're driving down the road. You may want to choose to go this way instead, so you don't plunge into the depths. No, police don't do that. They say, bridge is out. Detour. Go this way. (laughs) They don't ask, would you like to maybe think about it? No, no. That's not what happens. Jesus' call here is authoritative. It's a repent. It's believe in the gospel. Uh, It is follow me. Said Jesus to his disciples in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit... Should abide. Now, immediately after Levi follows Jesus, we find Jesus in Levi's house. And as we've seen again and again, uh, where Jesus is, the crowds gather and the place is full. Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, what's going on here? Well, it appears that Levi, hearing the command of Jesus, has invited all his old friends to come and meet Jesus in his house. Did you do that? When you came to faith in, in Jesus, when you saw the truth of who Jesus was for the first time, the first thing you thought to yourself, I need to get my friends over here so that I can, I can share with them you know, what's changed in, in my life. When you come to faith in Christ, do you invite your co-workers and your neighbors and your folks you hung out with in the past to your house? Say, I want to introduce you to Jesus. That's what Levi's doing. Well, somehow the scribes of the Pharisees get wind of what's happening inside the house and they're upset because they know that sitting down to eat with someone, which is what these folks are doing with Jesus, is a sign of fellowship and communion and intimacy. Uh, you think of the great marriage supper of the Lamb and the book of Revelation and all the feasts of the Bible. Uh, it's a sign of communion and fellowship. And they get wind of the fact that Jesus is in there. And they've got a problem. And so instead of going to Jesus... They go to the disciples. Not a good pattern here. Uh, If they had trouble with Jesus, they should have gone to Jesus, but instead they complain to others about Jesus. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So, here's the opening scene. You have tax collectors, sinners, and Jesus at fellowship at table. It's a picture of communion among those who know they're sinners in the presence of their Savior. And then you have those looking in from the outside, and they're disgusted. Jesus came to call sinners, not good people. Does anyone here remember uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker from the 80s? Oh, it's a long time ago now. They had the PTL ministry. It stood for praise the Lord, but uh, others said it stood for pass the loot. Uh, It's not a good situation. One time this ministry had $129 million dollars. 2,300-acre religious theme park, a hotel, shopping mall, their own TV station on 1,200 channels. Jim Baker was eventually accused of being involved in sinful relationships, sexual immorality. He resigned uh, because it turned out he had, had given almost $300,000 to a woman to keep her quiet. After he uh, resigned, it was discovered that the ministry had taken large amounts of money from from others who had uh, given, in good faith, uh, money to this Ministry, the IRS, investigated, discovered the couple had diverted $4.8 million for their own use. Uh, The fraud was on such a scale, it was estimated about 1,500 people a month were being defrauded. He was indicted, jailed, um, his wife left him, divorced him. Six months into his sentence, Jim Baker was surprised one afternoon when the prison warden called him into his office because Baker had a visitor. Uh, It was Billy Graham. When Graham came in, Baker asked him why he had come to visit, because he knew that any association with with Baker would tarnish Graham's reputation. And Graham replied that Baker was his friend in good and in bad times, and now when things were bad, he would stand by his side. So Baker's sentence is eventually reduced on appeal to ten years. He comes out of prison on parole. He's got nowhere to stay. And so the Grahams invited him to stay in their house. And on the Sunday following Baker's release, Ruth Graham took him to church with her. And disregarding what people would think about her, she stood up in church and introduced Jim Baker to the congregation as her friend. Jim Baker. Have you ever been? Have I ever been? Would I ever be accused of being a friend of sinners? Not condoning sin? But simply being in their presence, showing love to them, concern for them. Many times we put up walls in our homes, in our churches, in our circle of friends. We put up walls that keep people like Levi out. Sometimes we pick and choose. Sometimes we look down on some people, like the scribes and Pharisees look down on Levi and tax collectors. We look down on some people and conclude they're a lost cause. That they're not worth our effort and our time. And we separate Think about this. We separate ourselves from the very people whom the Bible seems to suggest the Lord Jesus came to save. And if Jesus acted the same way we do, sometimes he would never have called Levi. So we need to hear the words of Jesus. First of all, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners call to repent, believe in the gospel and follow him. That's the first thing. Jesus came to save sinners, not good people. And secondly, that's good news because the Bible tells us uh, we're all sinners. Jesus came to save sinners, not good people, but that's good news because the Bible tells us we're all sinners. Verse 17, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, the scribes and the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus speaks here about the well, the healthy, and the sick. He speaks about the righteous and the sinners. Tax collectors and sinners, like Levi, are equated with the sick. Now, as Jesus points out, it's not the healthy or those who are well who need a doctor, but the sick. It isn't the healthy who make a visit to the emergency room, but the sick. Imagine you were to show up at your your doctor's office... And uh, and you're feeling great, and your doctor says to you, Peter, why are you here? And I say, well, hey, I, doc, I feel hundred percent. I say, well, uh, do, um, um, you know, what's going on? You got a fever? Say, no, I am, I am, I am perfectly well. And then, uh, but, but why are you here? Why have you come? Because you don't do that. You don't go to a doctor when you feel. Like you are well. Uh, Jesus did not come to call the righteous or those who are well. So here's the thing. Do you view yourself as a basically good person? Like the great host of folks in our country and county and even in the church. Ligonier Ministries does a state of theology survey every couple of years. Last year, they asked folks to respond to this statement. Respond to this statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. So out of all respondents, Christian or not, 66% agreed. Two-thirds of people in our country, out of this survey anyway, said, at nature, people are good. But here's the thing. Among those self-defined as evangelicals, those who say they believe in Jesus, 57% agreed that basically we're good. Basically, we're righteous by nature. I mean, basically... It's all well, it's all good. Here's the problem. If you think you're good, if you think you're righteous, if you, if you think you're good at nature, at least more righteous than everyone else, here's the problem. You're not looking for a savior. Because you don't believe you need a savior. You think others need a savior. You think others need a doctor. You think others have warts and wrinkles and scars and bruises and cuts, but you don't see anything on yourself. If you think you're basically good by nature, you are well on your own. And I've got some bad news for you this morning. The Bible says Jesus did not come for you. I came to call sinners, not the righteous. You see, you, if you have that sense that you are somehow good by nature, the Bible's saying then that this Jesus says here, you're excluded here. I came not to call the righteous. Righteous. Hmm. We need to be very clear, of course, about what Jesus meant. He didn't mean that anyone is good enough to get into heaven by his own righteousness, or that anyone actually is, in fact, well apart from him. Jesus was using irony or sarcasm here, saying, in effect, if you guys think that you're good enough to merit salvation, that you are well and don't need any help from me, then you don't see yourselves as spiritually sick and you don't have any need for a doctor. You don't welcome Jesus. You don't embrace Jesus. You don't see your need for Jesus. Oh, you might like to have Him around, but you don't see Him as someone who who you need desperately for your own problem within. Uh, Christians, friends, are not Muslims. You know what Muslims believe at the end when they die? That their life will be... uh, will be tested in the balance and if the good deeds outweigh the evil deeds um, then you're good. No. Uh, Jesus saves only one kind of person a sinner who knows that he's a sinner. A sinner who knows that she's a sinner. Romans 3 tells us there is no one righteous, not one. Think of Isaiah. uh, Catches a vision of the Lord. He says, woe is me. Think of Job. The Bible calls him righteous and blameless. And yet at the end of Job, uh, the book of Job, he's repenting in dust and ashes before God. No one who gets a glimpse of God in his absolute holiness dares to think that his own righteousness will enable him to stand before this awesome God. No one is good but God alone. Well, invariably, uh, those who view themselves as righteous or good are comparing themselves with other sinners. And not with God. I mean, how did the Pharisees get to where they are? Well, the Pharisees looked at the tax collectors, they looked at the prostitutes and thought, were better than these people. But of course, they were looking at things outwardly, not as God looks at the heart. They needed to see themselves in the light of God's word, and they would realize that they were the ones who were not well. How do we know that? Well, Jesus will later confront them with this hypocrisy when he said to these folks, You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, uh, but within you are full of hypocrisy and uncleanness. Have you ever noticed that when you go to a a cemetery, um, how beautiful it is? Right? The grass is grass is cut. They've got beautiful water fountains. Maybe ah, it's a beautiful place, unless you know what's underneath. Right? Bones. That's what Jesus said about these Pharisees who who thought they didn't need a doctor, and it's also why they were so shocked and appalled and disgusted that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. But of course, the Bible tells us that God sees through all of that and He knows that there's none righteous, no, not one. He he says that the law comes to us in Romans 3.19 and 20 to to hold all of us accountable before God, that the the whole world would be accountable to God and everyone's mouth would be stopped. That's what the Word of God does. When we see ourselves in the light of God, and his holiness then we are convicted our mouth closes we don't brag we don't boast in ourselves because we see we are just as needy as anybody else see friends the Pharisees had spiritual cancer but they thought they were pretty healthy but the tax collectors had no illusions about themselves they knew that they were terminal sinners many of them perhaps doubted that they were such or they, they thought they were such terrible sinners there couldn't be any hope but Jesus tells them no I call I call you as well. He came to seek and to save the lost. Not those who are well, but those who are sick. So here's the thing. Be encouraged, first of all, that Jesus calls Levi. Be encouraged that though Levi may have been a despised tax collector in the eyes of others, Jesus calls him to follow him. That means that the sovereign grace of God is wide enough, deep enough, powerful enough for any. No one can come to me, said Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one is beyond his reach. Jesus came to save sinners and the Apostle Paul said, I am the chief, I am the worst. And uh, Jesus calls Paul. What a comfort this is for us. It means that you are not beyond his reach. It means that I am not beyond his reach. Rebellious, maybe, indifferent, lost, wandering, perhaps, fully entrenched in sin even now. But no depths we can sink where his reach is not greater. So if you're sitting here this morning in the depths, know this. You cannot sink far enough where God's grace won't draw you out. You cannot run fast enough where God's grace uh, won't track you down. You can't shrink small enough where God's grace won't find you. And you can't be lost in the darkness deep enough where God's grace can't shine its light. Jesus has come to call sinners. We need to hear his call. And what comfort for us is we minister to others. Jesus called Levi. No neighbor, no family member, no son or daughter, mother, father, co-worker, classmate is beyond the reach of the sovereign grace of God. What is needed is the call God. Of Jesus. So we keep praying. We keep working. We keep speaking of Jesus to one and all. We keep inviting them into our home. We keep inviting them to church. We keep loving them and caring for them. Living Christ before them. There are no lost causes. Because we know and we trust he will have his people. His sheep will hear his voice. And they will come to him. We confess, after all, that the scriptures teach two kinds of call. One is the general call that we receive through the ministry of the word. That is the call that goes out to any and all to come to faith in Jesus, to repent and believe in the gospel, to bow in humility and submission before the good and gracious and merciful and glorious king. That call goes out to everybody. But did you know uh, that we also uh, believe in uh, another call, the kind of call that uh, that God actually uh, uses to to draw us then to himself? This is what our confession says. This effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, who is altogether passive therein, until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. That's what we believe. We believe there's a general call. We bring that call to everybody, anybody we meet. We say, repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus, follow him. But then the Bible says there's also another there's a there's a there's a call that 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 goes right to our heart. And and we don't we don't we don't contribute anything to it. Why not? Because we're dead in sin. But the Holy Spirit works in our heart, quickens us, renews us, enables us to hear that call, and enables us to then embrace the grace. Isn't that a great phrase in our confession? To hear the call of Jesus, to respond to Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit to work within us so that we will embrace the grace offered to us. And that call is effective, certainly seemed effective for Levi. The Bible says he arose and followed him. So quickly, Jesus came to save sinners, not good people. That's good news uh, because we're all sinners. Jesus came to save sinners and make them also his followers, disciples, you see. Follow me, said Jesus to a sick sinner named Levi. Notice how Levi responds. And he arose and followed him. Luke has it. Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, notice that's exactly the same response we found earlier from Peter and Andrew and James and John when Jesus called them to be his disciples. There's a theme here developing in the Gospel of Mark. Following Jesus means leaving everything that we once considered of most importance in our life uh, and following him. Following him. Getting in behind him. Learning of him. uh, Looking to him. Walking in his his ways, being a disciple of Him, friends. We we follow. Uh, we follow so much. We follow the news. We follow the stock market. We follow sports scores. We follow weather patterns. Uh, we follow cultural trends. We follow uh, musicians and home and garden shows and, and cooking shows and, and on and on and on. And the Bible says this is what matters most to a Christian, that you are first and foremost and primarily uh, a follower of Jesus. You are a disciple of Jesus. That is who you are. Uh, you look to him. You follow him. You learn from him. Uh, you bask in his presence, even as Levi and these other tax collectors and sinners we're doing in the home of Levi wouldn't have been easy for Levi to follow Jesus meant sacrifice meant commitment meant a new and different direction to his life. Do you think he could still hang out with all his old friends, do the same things uh, that he did before? Do you think life went on for Levi pretty much the same as it was before? Absolutely not. The Bible says the first thing he does is he gets all his all his former friends and says, come to my house and meet Jesus whom I have met. Remember Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, when he came to know Jesus, what was his response to Jesus? Lord, I give half I own to the poor. I'm going to pay back fourfold anybody I've defrauded. Jesus says today salvation has come to this house. This is what it looks like. A life transformed is the life that follows Jesus. A life of service, a life of restitution in the case of Zacchaeus making things right. Christianity in many ways is not a forgive and forget religion. Christianity is a a forgive and be reconciled religion, making right what is wrong. So Levi simply rose and followed Jesus. I wonder who took over the tax booth. Uh, I suspect some people got away with not paying their taxes that day as Levi came to faith in Jesus. He knew he couldn't drink and party with his old friends anymore. He knew life was forever different from now on. Jesus has come for six sinners, but when they, by God's grace, answer his call, they leave everything for him. Levi and uh, many in his house knew they were sick, they knew they were sinners, and they knew that there was also a, a doctor in the house, and his name was Jesus. And so, really, in Levi's house here becomes a great picture, friends, of, of the church. The Bible tells Christians to practice hospitality. The word hospitality means the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests and visitors and strangers. This is why we call a hospital a hospital. You don't show up at the doors of a hospital bleeding and suffering only to hear the doorman say, Get out of here. You don't belong here. We only take healthy people. No. The nurses rush out to the ambulance. They surround the patient lovingly, caringly, tenderly. Bring them in. That those who are sick might be made well. Come and see the doctor, we say. Oh, this is the church. The great physician at work. Mending, tending, setting, bandaging, making us whole, forgiving, encouraging, sustaining, upholding. And our fellow believers, well, we're the nurses and the staff all serving the same goal that we might be made well to go out and serve, to go out... Find others who are sick and needy uh, to bring them in. Have you answered this call on your life? This is what Jesus preached. Repent, believe in the gospel, and follow me. I've come to call those who are sick and sinners. Do you believe you are well without him? Do you believe you don't really need this Jesus? The Bible says there's no one who does good. There's none who are righteous. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of attention. None of us is healthy, you see. That was the sad irony of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the sad irony of many people who profess faith in Jesus and go to churches all across our land, but all their life as they go through life in the church, they're going through life in the church thinking that they are well and have no need for Jesus. and So Jesus is never preached. And faith in Jesus is never called for. And they go through all their life thinking uh, that they are well. And they don't need a doctor. There's other folks here in town that need them. But not me. We're all in need of a doctor, you see. And the good news this morning, you see, uh, is that there is a doctor in the house. And his name is Jesus. And the church, you see, is is the hospital. For those who know they are sick, they come. And they're looking for Him. They're looking for the Savior. They're looking to eat with Him and sit with Him and and know that, that He forgives them and He calls them and He makes them whole, you see. This is what the church is called to be. And so if you believe yourself a sinner this morning, there is good news for you. Because the Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. And that while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ uh, died in our place. And so this morning uh, we are called by Jesus uh, to follow him, to recognize our own sin, and to recognize in him that great physician who comes to heal us, forgive us, to make us whole, to be his people. May that be true of us as we come even today to the table of the Lord, remembering that he is our Savior, not just other Savior, but my Savior, Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we see in this passage those who are blind to their own need. When Jesus had come right before them to bring healing and forgiveness and restoration, they didn't see that they were the ones who needed him most desperately. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that that would not be us, that you would again grant us, Lord, your grace today to see that we are the Levi. We are the one who is in need. We are the ones who are unwell without the Lord Jesus. We need his love. We need his forgiveness. We need his atoning blood. We need his sacrifice on the cross. Now that we might be forgiven. And that we might know life again today. Help us, Lord, to follow Him. To put our faith and trust in Him. And not anything of ourselves. That we might leave this place knowing again. That we have met with the, the great physician who bandages all our wounds. Calls us to follow Him. Shows us His love and grace and mercy again today. To send us out today. That we might find others who are sick. Others who are unwell. That they might come. And find this Jesus too. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.